Blog Talk Radio. Like most people with repetitive strain injury, I'm always looking for effective treatments. So when I went to see a new physical therapist a while back, she pulled out a silver instrument and started making small combing movements on my forearms. I've had a lot of treatments for repetitive strain injury, you name it, but this was new and it really helped me. She later said it was called instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization, or ISTEM. So I began requesting this technique when I went to see her. Hello, and welcome to RSI Help Radio. I'm Deborah Quilter, and RSI Help Radio is dedicated to bringing you the best news and information about repetitive strain injury and other technology-related health issues. Today, we will be talking to someone who knows a lot about using iSTEM to help RSI, Dr. Nick Wisniak, who writes books on many different medical topics for doctors and therapists. He's also a clinician himself and a professor of anatomy, exercise therapy, and orthopedics. If you have a question for Dr. Wisniak, we'll be taking calls at the, uh, toward the end of this episode, about 20 minutes in, and you can call us at 516-453-9471. That's the number on your screen, but again, it's 516-453-9471. So, welcome to the show, Dr. Nick. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we've been having some great conversations, but let's start with um, the first question, which is, can you explain what we're talking about when we say soft tissue? Yeah, so this is a very interesting topic. In fact, if you look at most therapists and doctors, they have a tough time quantifying what it is. But on a basic level, soft tissue means anything that is not osseous or hard tissue. And by body weight, if you're actually to look at it, most doctors and therapists, again, can't tell you what percent of the body it usually is. It does vary from person to person, but roughly 80% of your body is soft tissue. So we're looking at a major component of your overall makeup as a human being here. And so when you say osseous tissue, you mean bone, right? That is exactly what I mean, bone. Yep. If it's not bone, yeah. it's so is that? that includes things like fat, nerves, muscles, uh, lymphatics, skin, all of your organs, all of that is soft tissue. You can pick it up, move it around, and it is flexible. Uh-huh. Excellent. So, and 80% of us is soft tissue. It. <laughs> That's a big part of it. Oh, goodness. Um, you also said when we were talking earlier that you've seen a huge increase in repetitive strain injury. Can you talk about why this is so? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're looking at demographics and history of human population, what we're seeing now is most people live in urbanized environments. Our body is designed to get up, move, find food, resources, run away from danger, now in our more modern world, we see, I think it was 2007 World Health Organization stats said that over 50% of human beings now live in urbanized environments. That means we're not getting up and walking for our water in the morning, looking for lunch, all of this other th all these other things that we'd be doing on a regular basis, and we're finding a huge increase in immobility. We've got one study that I quote in a few of the books that talks about your lifespan. Your lifespan, on average, is shortened by two years if you sit for more than three hours per day consecutively. Wow. So there's amazing like that. Yeah. That's extraordinary. Yes. Yeah, I mean, people really don't move 
um, and their jobs really put them in this situation where they are not encouraged to get up. I mean, in the old days, you used to be able to get up and walk to the copy machine or walk to the file cabinet or walk to the printer, but that doesn't happen anymore. You're absolutely right, Deborah. That's one of the biggest things. Now we've got managers who think that productivity is related to the amount of time that somebody spends in a seat, and in fact, we see that that is exactly the opposite. If you look at companies like Google and other forward-thinking companies, what they wind up doing for their employees is say, yes, focus when you're in the mood, when you're actually able to work and be ultra-productive, but they have all kinds of movement game therapies that they're their workers can go ahead and play. You can go play foosball, go outside and play some ultimate frisbee, go do some yoga, whatever it is. But it means that they're getting that motion as part of their daily routine where we see for most people, and again, the numbers are increasing, spending time just stuck in a cubicle, hunched over, very minimal movement or stretching. I've got a number of patients who are uh, lawyers and accountants, and they are just stuck looking at screens all day. And, and that's one of the big issues that we're seeing. And then you can add on top of that, Cell phone usage. So with cell phones, typically, I couldn't believe it. I was on a least recent uh, trip to Las Vegas, and I could not believe the cell phone usage that you would see in adults with absolutely terrible long-held postures. But even the kids now are being modeled this. So we can see this potentially becoming a multi-generational issue here that we're going to have to be working through. Yeah, I've seen some pretty horrifying things myself. Um, there's, I have a gym in my building, um, and... I remember seeing this woman with her he, he, probably like two-year-old boy and she would prop him up against a wall and he'd be playing with a video game with his head completely forward about 60 degrees and his spine curved. Yep. And he would just be wrapped with this game and it was just kind of horrifying to see because I, I don't think people realize the importance of good posture you know, a long spine, a, a straight spine, and what it can do to you if you don't have good posture. So I completely agree. Um, but tell me a little bit about how instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization works, this wonderful new technique that I've discovered and want to share with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're for instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization, if you want, we've actually put up a YouTube video that a number of clinics and I think Physiopedia and a number of other resources out there for patients to look at use. If you just type in on YouTube, what is IASTM, you can see a video there where we have a computer graphic. Then we show a actual cadaver donor where we're doing a little bit of work instrument assisted. And then I show an example of how we would actually offer a treatment as well over top of the tissue. So if you want to look it up, it is on YouTube, and you just type in what is IASTM, and it shows up as the first video. But in its simplest form, this technique has actually been around for over 5,000 years, originating in ancient China as coining or gua sha, where the goal was a little bit different because what they were actually using was a rough edge tool that was designed to cause a little bit of bruising to the skin. Our goal is not bruising. Our goal is to reach tissue, resulting in neurologic changes, stimulation, and changes in blood flow to the area. And like we were talking about before this, Deborah, when we were going through this, was a great point that you were bringing up, and we agree heavily on this, was that increased blood flow equals increased healing. So one of the great outcomes that you see with instrument-assisted techniques is they allow for a much larger blood flow for the same amount of treatment time that you've given to a region. And that's kind of the key things that and, it does. For you. And there, aren't there other components... Dr. Nick, with that, I mean, does it help you to stay really hydrated and also to move your own body to, to get the blood flowing? 
Is that Absolutely. also helpful in tissue healing? Absolutely. I mean, one of my one of the things that I like to say when I'm giving a seminar or speeches or anything like this is, what are we? We know that we are about 70 to 80 percent water, and for all mm-hmm. the parts of our, the more we move them, the more that that fluid moves back and forth generally the healthy we are as long as we don't overdo it with an excessive amount of movement. But with the instrument-assisted techniques, what you're able to do is increase the dosing for a set amount of time that you actually work on a patient for. So if I worked with my hands or you did an exercise, yes, you would increase blood flow, but you wouldn't be ultra-specific with it. With the instruments, we can be very high Mm -hmm. dose because of the shape of the tools, and also we can be very specific with that. And you also brought up another good point uh, when we were speaking before as well. When most patients say that they want deep tissue work, that, that you can go ahead and say that, and many people interpret it as that, but when you say you want deep tissue work, what most people really mean is they want specific work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really hit home for me. Uh, one seminar we gave, I had a therapist there, and she was talking about a patient that she was working with, into his quadratus lumborum and low back, which is a very common area. Low back pain, very common, like an 80% chance of having low back pain sometime in your life. And so a lot of patients love low back work. And he was asking for Mm -hmm. more elbow pressure, more elbow pressure working into this quadratus lumborum. Well, if you know your anatomy, Mm -hmm. right in in front of the low back is where your kidneys are. The patient actually called the next day and said, I have blood in my urine. So be aware. Oh, my God. This person who was working with their elbow was working deep, working deep, and they had actually bruised that patient's kidney. With instrument-assisted techniques, you can be way more specific in your dosing and be avoiding those type of injuries happening potentially. You know, I heard something else about the kidneys. Um, There are people who do, I think it's Tai Chi Masters, and they do this um, slapping or pounding. Yep. one of them, one instructor said, do not do your back because you don't want to dislodge a kidney stone. And I've always remembered <laughs> that. I yep. thought, gosh, yeah. You'd have to hit that pretty sounds- hard to dislodge. But, yeah, it's one of those areas. It is, a, it is a point of weakness in the back and the low back right below the uh, rib cage there. If you watch any mixed martial yeah. arts or anything, you see the guys rolling on the ground and they're punching each other in the back and it doesn't look like they're doing that much. Those are some of the most yeah. vicious you can actually give somebody. So you do want to make sure you're definitely lighter in those areas. Yeah, this is good to know. And it's really yeah. good to know that you can be more specific. You can give someone that sense of release because you're targeting exactly the spot where they feel the, the tension rather than just sort of arbitrarily doing a global um, situation where you, you might be injuring something. Um, you know, we talked before about uh, you said something about practitioners can go too far, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that. Let's say one of our listeners wants to have an experience with ISTEM, and you know, what are the? How does it feel? What what should it feel like? What shouldn't it feel like? What what advice can you give us? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So one of the first things that you should be aware of is, number one, as the patient, you are the one who dictates the treatment that's actually happening. It should be a partnership between you and your healthcare provider. So you can decide when is too much. One of the key things that I teach in our seminars is to make sure that people on their very first treatment, absolutely informed consent is there so they understand what's going to be occurring. But number two, 
especially that first treatment, because the dosing is so much higher than the patient is probably used to, you have to go ahead and give a very light therapy to start with, just to make sure that you don't overload the patient. Because like anything, same with medications, the way any treatment affects one patient may not necessarily be the same as it affects another patient. So for the first treatment, what you should have is definitely some education around what the process is. Again, that video up on YouTube is a great one for you to watch so you can see what should be involved there. And then you're going to follow up with the actual sensation of the instruments rolling through the skin and then hopefully penetrating to some deeper tissue. Uh, what you want to watch out for, a little bit of bruising sometimes happens, and that's okay, but if the bruising really gets dark blue, black, or even yellow if it's an older bruise, maybe that treatment was a little too much. And the way that we can tell that is you rupture more major blood vessels, that's when you see a larger, darker bruise right there. Some bruising will happen sometimes, but it's not really the goal of the treatment. The goal is to affect the deeper tissues and stimulate the nervous system. That's really great information. That's really great. That's very helpful to, you know, know what what the color of the bruise means. Um, and then in terms of, uh, we're backing up a little bit, but you, had, you and I had talked about the idea of rest. And yes. talk a little bit more, what exactly should we be thinking about when the doctor says rest? That is an excellent point right there. We could, we could go on forever on this one, but I'll give a couple of examples. The first key point, because I always like to front load whatever our educational processes are, the first key point is it's not rest, it's relative rest. And I will give a prime example from uh, my own life here. What happened for me uh, Monday, a week and a half ago, is I actually herniated a lumbar disc in my low back. And it was 10 out of 10 pain, fully incapacitating. Yeah positive straight leg raise. This is a soft tissue injury that occurs in the low back. And if you follow standard advice that's often given, it is rest. So people take that verbatim and they stop moving. And when you stop moving, you wind up getting a larger scar tissue response where the body does not create scar tissue along lines of stress and it creates scar tissue in multiple directions. Instrument-assisted techniques and movement help you realign scar tissue fibers so the very cells in your body lay down these fibroblasts, lay down collagen along the lines of stress. So for myself, I made it a case for a number of the classes that I teach. So I had the students come in and do their assessments, and everybody came to it. Pain was worse, was coughing, sneezing, and straining. It was a classic lumbar disc herniation. I'm here a week and a half mm -hmm. later. I was already doing deadlifts and everything like that uh, yesterday as a trial run in, in the gym. So I'm actually seeing about an 80% recovery in about a week and a half. And part of that process was healing through relative rest, challenging the tissue, but respecting the pain, but just challenging it a little bit, keeping moving, instrument-assisted techniques, some joint mobilizations, a little bit of massage, and increasing my protein intake was kind of my process around there, but it's a multifactorial treatment that you want. So if you take it verbatim and think that you should be resting like on a couch, I've had experiences where patients have taken that advice, rested on a couch for two weeks, and develop conditions like deep vein thrombosis and other issues like that that are more serious oh because goodness. they take it verbatim. So it's relative rest that you want. Yeah, I think people also get into trouble with over splinting. Absolutely. You know, they yeah. don't seem to realize that the splints are there. They need to be used ju judiciously and not kept on indefinitely. Um, the doctor with whom I wrote my first book would complain that people would become addicted to the splints. Um, and then, you know, it would hurt when they take it off, but, it, it, you know, you're not getting fluid return and 
you get muscle atrophy and all kinds of uh, bad things happen, and that's kind of a form of rest in a way. Yeah. If you go onto YouTube, again, I try and post as many resources as I can. I have a picture or a video of a fracture screen. So how to assess on a patient if they have a fracture or not. And on that video, we have a guy who's about 65 years old, fell off a ladder only eight feet high, and broke his arm, middle humerus fracture, into about 20 little pieces, and he was not given a cast. He was given a soft cast and splint so he could still move it around. You still, in case, there are going to be cases where casts are warranted, but in cases like this, you're looking at the natural healing processes of the body work better. So if we can facilitate natural healing like we did evolutionarily or in prehistory before we had modern medicine and can cast everything and lock it all down with all these braces where, as you said earlier, get people get brace happy and dependent on these. You're absolutely right. They become addicted. But we can make a shift back to just gradual movement, how your body would have, how your body was designed to heal, then we can see better outcomes with that usually. Yes, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, what you said earlier about uh, realigning the scar tissue is so important. Um, I think other people try to do that. Other modalities try to do that, although, it, you know, I'm not sure of the effectiveness, but getting the, the, the fibers to grow in an organized fashion rather than chaotic is really key, I think, Absolutely. to healing and not re-injuring the tissue again from... Yeah, really good point. I, as I understand it, yeah. yeah Scar really tissue, if it's not... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say a really good point uh, there about the preventing re-injury. You're absolutely right. You Number one, you want to heal from the injury that you have, but number two, you want to do everything you can to give yourself the best chance of not having that injury again. Super good point. Absolutely relevant. And that's why all the rehab exercises and training and variation in activities that we should be doing in a day are crucial for overall health in patients. Yeah, so the, I think this is where... Exercise is really key, the, but I'm making a big caveat, the right exercises. Um, you Absolutely. know, if you've got an upper extremity, um, there's clever things that you can do, you know, by putting the uh, some ankle weights on your upper arms instead of lifting them with your hands so that you're not overstraining your the muscles of your forearms if you've got an issue going on there. And there's all kinds of ways that you can exercise, even without weight, um, when someone comes to me with, for an exercise program, I, I do not use weights in the beginning because, first of all, you don't know, you know, just lifting your own body can be a lot for some people if they haven't been doing it. And Absolutely. Secondly, you can focus on good form so that when you do, for instance, give them a, a weight, they're holding themselves properly. Yeah, so that, absolutely. That they've got the form of it before they they start um, actually lifting the weight. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, it so is. maybe and you could tell us a little bit. Go ahead. No, I was just, just going to say, people don't realize how significant simple movements actually are until they haven't done them for a while. We've had patients come into our mm-hmm. clinic. I can remember a therapist talking about a patient who had not pulled their shoulder blades back together in over three years. So they didn't know that that motion was available to them just because they were stuck in their daily routine and not challenging their body, the body that's designed to give them resources and help them live through this life as best they can. They just weren't challenging, exploring the motion of their body. 
it's, it's one of the saddest things I see in practice and probably where we spend most of our time is just telling people you can and should move as much as possible. And instrument-assisted techniques can be a way, great way to get you over a plateau of treatment and onto a better healing place. Yeah, it's really great. And I like it because it's, it's non-invasive. It's not a drug. Yeah. Um, we had talked about this earlier, in fact, that so many people are in, you know, in pain. And rather than learning techniques where you can cope with pain, there's many, you can do meditative techniques. You can do many things to help quell pain uh, rather than taking a drug. And you had talked about um, the opioid crisis vis-a-vis uh, -vis, you know, pain. And tell the story again about the mom that you helped recently who was given morphine. Yeah, so this is, this is a great case. Uh, it happens in practice that we often see similar cases repetitively over the week. So we have a mom who came in, this was a week and a half ago, and she was a new mom. I actually put a picture up on my Instagram with her there. And she had a disc herniation. Now, she was concerned, you know, it was very painful. She had to go into the ER, have it all assessed, and the outcome was she was given morphine and some Tylenol to go ahead and deal with that. Well, if you're a mother who's on morphine, you cannot breastfeed your baby. So this is a huge health issue for this mom. I was concerned about her low back, but I'm also concerned, and disc herniation, but I'm also very concerned, as a dad would be, because I'm a dad with three daughters, as a dad would be, of what's going to happen for the development of that kid. And you could see it even on herself. It created a more of a negative content for her around breastfeeding and all of this. So uh, what we did within two treatments, we were able to get her off the morphine and lower her Tylenol dosing that she was taking as well. And that's one of the major outcomes you're looking for here. Ideally, we should reach a point of balance in the body without requiring medications. What's happened for a lot of the population, though, is... Sometimes, absolutely, the pain is so significant, you do have to work your way around it. But for a lot of the population, we've been trained, conditioned to believe that medications are the way to go for your treatment. When in fact, for my disc herniation, yeah, it was 10 out of 10 pain. The first two nights sleeping, it was terrible, but I didn't take any pain medication. Okay? For this mom, she is loving life right now because she's able to move her spine, feed her baby again. These kind of changes are real-world changes that you can reach with just some alternate therapies. Yeah, I'm so happy to talk about this. I think it's really important. I actually fractured my wrist last year, and they wanted to give me a very heavy uh, pain medication for that, and I did the same thing as you did. I didn't take it because I just, you know, it's, you know, you can deal with pain for, you know, it's limited. And and so that was my choice as well. Because um, I, know, I know I can do a lot for myself. I don't really need um, pain. I mean, obviously, if you need it, you need it. But I think short term is better. And getting back to this whole thing of movement and exercise, that is also a great pain reducer. And when I think of um, exercise, I really like functional exercise. Yep. The you know, replicating the movements that you actually need in daily life to have a healthy body, to reach for things, to lift things properly with your shoulders engaged, um, so that you're not throwing your skeleton out of whack. And I mean these are really useful and they're typically very safe too. And they Absolutely make you feel are. good. I mean this is, this People is one of my feel great after, yeah. 
One of my favorite expressions is the most under-prescribed antidepressant is exercise. Mm -hmm. If you feel better, the best drug for you is exercise. And it doesn't have to be crazy Olympic weightlifting in the gym. Go for a walk in the forest. You will feel better. There's, If you look at uh, Japanese medicine, there's forest bathing that people do, just physically getting out to walk. If you want to challenge yourself more of what you're describing, Deborah, which is really what a lot of people want to avoid injury, then you need to move in multi-planar functional movements for patients. And this is a huge part of rehab. In my mind and the patients that we see in our clinic, no treatment is complete unless I'm giving you some kind of exercise and movement pattern to work on. And that way you can get stronger and avoid these injuries in the future. You know, it's so funny you, you mentioned multiplanar uh, exercises because when you were talking about forest bathing, I was thinking about what it's like to walk on a hike on a, a steep surface because your ankle joint has to make all these incredibly finite adjustments. You know, your ankle bone is kind of like a level. So if you're walking up a hill, there might be, you're really getting some good, solid exercise for not only your glutes and your quads, but also your feet and your ankles. And everything's kind of doing its job, and it's a great workout. I mean, I was stunned when I discovered this. I was just sort of going on a hike and thinking, wow, this is better than the gym because you're not walking on a flat surface. You called it exactly how it should be right there. That is that is perfect. If you look again at human history, we are not designed to walk on flat, uniform surfaces. Your foot has arches and curves to it where you are designed mm-hmm. to grip the... If you want a simple stat, there's another one for you. There are more muscles in your foot than there are in your hand. What do we do? Uh-huh. When we... When we become, when we become, what is it, six months old and beyond, we put these little gloves over our feet, and it means you can't feel the earth, you can't wiggle your toes, you can't grab the ground the way that you're meant to do it. We could spend, we could spend hours talking about gait cycle and running and the evolution of that, but you're absolutely right. Barefoot or minimalist shoes on uneven surfaces improves your balance, multiplanar actions, and proprioception to prevent injuries. One of the things that we give our patients to avoid. Uh, what would it be, like osteoporosis and hip fractures later in life so they have better balance and avoid the falling, is to walk on uneven surfaces. One of my favorite treatments to give is actually to require patients to go to a tropical island and walk on the sand. Yeah, that's another really good one. Yeah. I completely agree with you. When I was, sorry, but when I was studying anatomy, my anatomy teacher referred to shoes as little coffins. Oh, excellent. That a lot. Can I use I thought, that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I really, I thought, yeah, that's exactly, because I always have liked being barefoot personally and, you, you know, picking things up with my feet and stuff like that. But it's it's just sort of socially, oh, you know, it's too bad that it's not more socially acceptable because it would be so much better for people's health. It is, absolutely. And even if you're sitting stuck in that office chair or that desk or whatever it is, take your shoes off. If you come into our clinic as a patient, we have a place for people to put their shoes so you walk in just in your socks and kind of feel the ground again. That's fantastic. That is totally fantastic. I mean, it's just, you know, getting back to um, wonderful movement. And I don't know, do you have any suggestions? What do you tell people in terms of... um, trying to incorporate more movement into their their working life. I mean, I usually tell people to get up every 20 minutes out of their chair 
and yep. you know march in place or you know do anything circle their shoulders rotate their any, heads any movement is better than no movement so even if you just reach back and stretch for a little bit but if you're actually looking mm-hmm. at one exercise that I wish I could get the world to do and this is a whole other topic but the one exercise I could get the world to do every day multiple times would be something as simple as a squat if you can mm-hmm. get into a nice squat there's actually research that supports your correlation with your life expectancy is associated with your ability to squat deep if you're over the age of 65 or 55 I have to look at the article but regardless it's an action that we lose in North America if you go to other countries where they don't have toilets that you sit on you see that everybody yeah. they has to get in a deep squat but what happens here is people don't get into a deep squat and you're working the biggest muscles of your body. You have to use about 200 to 300 muscles to actually do a squat. And it's one of the best wow. ways for you to increase blood flow, increase cardiac output, and overall strength is squatting. It's part of every major exercise routine that people have for building strength. So a squat is where it's at. That's fantastic advice. Um Unfortunately, we could talk forever, but we're running out of time. Uh, so I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your knowledge. Um, if people want more information, what is your website? Yeah, if you go to our website, it's prohealthsys.com, so professionalhealthsystems.com if you find us there. We write mostly for other doctors and therapists and healthcare providers, but we also offer some blogs and advice there as well. Or you can go onto YouTube and just type in my last name. It's very distinctive, Nikita Visniak, and you'll see a number of videos up there. And I'm also always open for suggestions and feedback. If people have topics they would like to see covered as an educational video or something, I always am taking feedback and willing to promote any kind of video of education there. Or you can go ahead and find us on Amazon and buy any of our books too that we write. That's terrific. And I hope that you'll come back on our show and we can talk more about different things that we couldn't get to on today's episode. So thank you again for coming on the show, Dr. Nick. Thank all of you out there for listening to RSI Health Radio. And remember to follow the show so you will be notified of new episodes. You just click on that little red box or sign up for my newsletter at rsihelp.com. You can also submit questions or suggestions for future episodes on the show page. Until next time, this is Deborah Quilter signing off from RSI Help Radio in New York City. Bye.